Welcome to Divorce Dialogues. I'm Katherine Miller. Divorce Dialogues brings expert guests to the airways to talk through your divorce questions and fill in the gray areas about separating. From thinking about divorce, to how to behave during divorce, to what to do after, this is Divorce Dialogues. Welcome to Divorce Dialogues. I'm Catherine Miller. I am the founder of the Miller Law Group and I'm a trainer at the Center of Understanding and Conflict. And most importantly, I'm on a mission to change how people divorce and help them divorce with dignity. And my guest today is Don Kirby. Don is a bankruptcy attorney with over 25 years experience representing corporate and consumer debtors and creditors in bankruptcy and restructuring matters. And prior to founding her own women-owned firm, Kirby, Eisner and Curley, in 2019, Dawn was a member of the financial restructuring group at King & Spaulding in New York City and Atlanta and a partner at DeBello, Donnellan, Weingarten, Wise, and Whitaker in White Plains, New York. Dawn co-founded the Pro Se Bankruptcy Clinic at Legal Services of the Hudson Valley, which provides bankruptcy counseling to individuals who fall below the federal poverty line. Welcome, Dawn Kirby. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you, Catherine. Happy to be here. So, you know, I really was interested in having you on the show because sometimes people really have a confusion about their own responsibility for their spouses in marriage, and certainly that includes also in bankruptcy. And, you know, there are some, I think, complicated relationships between divorce law and bankruptcy law, and I thought it would be really great to have you come on the show and help us understand how those things work. So maybe we could start out just talking about what some of the common causes of bankruptcy are, just to give people a sense of it. So individuals who file for bankruptcy, the vast majority of them do it because they've suffered a hardship, not because they're trying to trick the system or have gone on lavish vacations. Most people have either lost their job, had a medical issue, had a child, uh, medical issues or expenses above the norm. And of course, divorce is a very common reason for divorce because of course, now you're separating finances, supporting two households, sometimes litigation costs and everything that goes along with divorce. So I think this is a divorce-related show. I think what you're saying is that sometimes post-divorce people are overburdened with expenses and have depleted their savings. And, and so they don't have resources to go to when the costs of living separately become overwhelming. And that can cause people to go into debt and then to declare bankruptcy to try to eliminate some of those liabilities. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. Divorce itself, aside from all the multitude of emotional issues and family issues, creates financial issues for sure, and I, I imagine almost every circumstance, but there's so many folks who a bump in the road like that can cause them to not be able to keep up with their regular obligations. And bankruptcy is sometimes used jointly between the parties to deal with debt that they can discharge and not hold each other liable for in the divorce. Sometimes it's used for the moneyed spouse 
who has had a, a shift in their work life, possibly a decrease in income and fallen in arrears on their payments to have a method to pay that back through a bankruptcy plan, a repayment plan. And it, it affords the parties some relief from financial burdens. Of course, it's always the last resort, but it's there when people really need it. Yeah, so, Don Kirby, you know, as you're talking, I'm thinking, you know, I think that everybody has an idea as to what bankruptcy is and what it does, but maybe a little bit more specificity might be helpful to understand that it's not just necessarily a wiping away and a clean slate. There are certainly ramifications. There are some deaths that can't be wiped away in bankruptcy. So maybe you could just give us a little bankruptcy 101 <laughs> just to understand it better. Sure. Let me start with the basics. For an individual, most often there are two choices in bankruptcy. One is called a Chapter 7, which is a liquidation. Essentially, you have certain assets that are exempt from the reach of your creditors. And so you claim exemptions from most everyone's things, your clothes, your furniture, certain value in your house, a certain value in your car, your retirement accounts. Those are all things that you get to keep generally in a Chapter 7, but your general unsecured debt gets wiped away. You don't have to pay any of it back. And that might be medical bills. That might be credit card debt personal loans, you can get relief for those. And Congress created the law to help people get a fresh start because there is no debtor's prison anymore. And when someone's unfortunately fallen behind in their bills and aren't able to pay, the government has created these laws for people to get back on their feet. The other type of bankruptcy that's common for an individual is called a Chapter 13. And what that is, is a repayment plan to your creditors. Chapter 13 is most often used by folks who have high incomes. Congress has decided if you have a certain high level of income that you should be afford to at least pay something back. Or folks that have an asset that they want to keep, but it falls outside of those assets that are exempt from the reach of your creditors that I talked about earlier. So that might be I inherited great-grandma's diamond brooch or I am 50-50 owner of a ski condo with my sister in Vermont. Those things are not exempt from the reach of your creditors, but if you want to keep them, you pay your creditors at least what they would have received if you sold those things. So, for instance, if your interest in the Vermont condo is worth $75,000, you're going to pay your creditors $75,000 over a five-year period in your repayment plan. So they're getting what they would have gotten anyway. And you get to keep your ski condo. So in a way, it's fair. And if your debt is more than that, let's say your debt's $150,000, the balance gets discharged through the bankruptcy process. That's just conceptually, those are the two basic types of bankruptcy. You mentioned also some types of debts are not dischargeable in bankruptcy. So that is absolutely true. And there are a bit complex, but I'll just use a broad sweeping list with the understanding that it's a little more complex, but taxes 
oftentimes are not dischargeable if you owe your income taxes, but they can be discharged in some circumstances. If you have embezzled money, it's not dischargeable. If you have injured someone while you were drunk driving, it's not dischargeable. If you committed fraud, it's not dischargeable. A lot of these things are not common, right? Most people are not incurring debts through those bad acts. But one thing that is not dischargeable that is common is a domestic support obligation, which arises from divorce. So that would be maintenance and child support is not dischargeable. Also, in most circumstances, equitable distribution is likewise not dischargeable in bankruptcy. All right. So let's go back and because I think together we can explain some of those words. So child support is pretty obvious. Everybody knows what that is. It's support paid from one parent to the other for the support of the children and the recipient parent's home. I think that's pretty obvious. Maintenance is what we call alimony in New York. So that's support from one former spouse to the other for the support of that spouse. And you're saying, Don Kirby, that neither of these ongoing obligations for a weekly or monthly payment are dischargeable in bankruptcy. And why not? Why is legislation decided to make these outside of the bankruptcy discharge? Well, Congress has determined that certain types of debts, it's not in in anyone's interest to permit somebody to get out from under. So obviously, caring for children is very high on minds of all legislators as well as the community. Everyone acknowledges that is a very worthy type of debt that should be honored. So it can't be discharged, but if you fall behind on that obligation, you can get a repayment plan through the Chapter 13 process that I talked about. So you can't get out from under your obligation, but you can get a payment plan in bankruptcy, which at the end of the day, again, you have to balance things. And Congress decided that it's better off to give someone who fell behind a chance to catch up than to, well, I'm sure you know in your business, your alternative in the state court is to ask probably for a contempt hearing and possibly in very bad circumstances throw someone in jail. That's when bankruptcy can come in to help the person on a payment plan. First of all, I think putting somebody in jail is a pretty tough way to get them to pay because it's sort of like debtor's prison, right? It's pretty hard to earn the money when you're sitting behind bars, right? And, you know, and the courts will give a payment plan on arrears oftentimes because we're forced to. The person just doesn't have a pot of money to go to and you can't get blood from the stone. But I think what you're saying is that this might be a sort of more, remove the threat of jail. It removes other kind of draconian, very punishing things. The court thing, the things that a, a family court can do or a Supreme Court can do to try to force the, the non-payer to pay. And it, it sounds like it's a, it's a pretty organized procedure, if I'm understanding it correctly. That's correct. The federal bankruptcy is a federal law. So it's the same bankruptcy code is applied across the entire United States. And it gives a structure for somebody who is in debt to either repay the debt over time, repay a portion, or get a discharge from some of their debt. In my experience, most parents want to take care of their children and bend over backwards to take care of their children. And 
if they've fallen behind on child support, they probably have a lot bigger problems than that as far as credit card debt, falling behind on their mortgage. I'd like to hope or think that most parents put their child payments first and they fall into debt on other things to try to keep up with it. So oftentimes when someone is taking advantage of the protections of the bankruptcy law and the repayment plan and the bankruptcy law, they have a lot of other things going on as well financially that they can benefit. And at the end of the day, if somebody can come out of bankruptcy doing the right thing and paying creditors what they're owed under the law, but still coming out a lot leaner on their debts, that actually helps them going forward on paying their domestic support obligations, which is a bankruptcy term for alimony and child support, so that they're able to make those payments because it's not competing with other debts that they're liable on. This is a fascinating conversation about bankruptcy, but I want to remind people that I'm Catherine Miller and you're listening to Divorce Dialogues. We're here on WBOX 1460 AM in Westchester County every other Wednesday from 5 to 5.30, bringing you information and thoughtful dialogue that you need to divorce with dignity. And I'm talking about bankruptcy today with Don Kirby and about the interaction between bankruptcy and divorce law. And, you know, we're talking about how it is uh, that the people who fall behind on payments for child support and for alimony can to kind of make themselves, make their obligations good, but also keep going in a more reasonable or maybe doable way. And, you know, I'm wondering if there's a contempt motion for non-payment of, of child support or, or maintenance or alimony, and then somebody files for bankruptcy, without getting too technical, and I realize we could get really deep in the sausage factory about how that works together, but... But, John Kirby, what, how do those two things work together? You know, it's a coincidence. Just this last Friday, I filed a case for a gentleman who has fallen behind on his the tail end of his alimony payments. And he had a contempt hearing coming up. It was to take place today. We filed his bankruptcy on Friday. His matrim- The matrimonial attorneys on both sides immediately acknowledged the contempt hearing is off because it's a hearing for non-payment and that is stayed or stopped by the bankruptcy filing. And the arrears are to be paid, you know, through the repayment plan in the bankruptcy. He must remain current on his obligations going forward, but at least he gets the relief currently of not being held in contempt. Now, there's another kind of contempt that is not stopped by a bankruptcy. There's contempt you didn't pay. That has stayed. There's contempt you're intentionally flouting court orders. You punched the judge in the nose. Like, that's not stayed. But the vast majority, in my experience, are the non-payment type. So I have filed several cases over the years to stop contempt proceedings and to get everyone in a payment plan. Sometimes the parties are so disgruntled with each other, it's difficult for them to work something out amongst themselves. And bankruptcy provides that supervised structuring for repayment. So it sounds like you're really able to help this guy out and kind of stop the train of the contempt proceedings and all of the dire consequences that might have come from that. For the from the purpose of from the point of view of the non payment, if he'd done other things 
you know, that would have been a different thing. But it sounds like for this particular guy, that was really it. And it, it changes to a different procedure where he's able to pay back what it was that he owed and get into a situation going forward where he can afford to pay. So let me ask you that. So if he stopped paying, this guy or any guy, has stopped paying because he can't pay, how are they going to then be able to pay the full amount of the monthly payment going forward in addition to a payment plan? Is it an add-on? Does it extend the time or does it really just depend on the circumstances? It's an add-on. So you must remain current in your obligations going forward. That's always subject to adjustment. I know there are upward and downward modifications in what you do, but those go-forward obligations must be met. And then there's an add-on of a repayment plan of the arrears over a period up to approximately five years. Now, this particular circumstance I'm talking about, this person had been laid off, had been for some period looking for a job, found a job that was lesser than the prior job, but took it. Some people stay out of the market because they are waiting for their new perfect job to show up. But he he took the lower paying job and then was finally able to get a similar job to his first, not quite as much money, but nearly. So he had that bump in the road. He has moved to a less expensive apartment very recently to downgrade his expenses. So I know that there's Everybody has their own perspective and no one's the perfect person and no one person is the evil person for the most part. But that's the circumstance that this person was facing and this is a good solution for him to be able to get back on track really in making the payments, not avoiding the payments, getting back on track. I think that that's really a helpful explanation. You know, one thing that I think it's really important for our listeners to know is that in family court or in the Supreme Court, and that if you are in arrears on support payments, a court cannot retroactively reduce the amount that you owe. So if you owe $100 a month and you say, listen, I, you let it go for a year, not paying $100 a month, and then you go in and say, listen, I just lost my job when I stopped paying that, so I could only have afforded to pay $50 a month. There's nothing they can do about the extra $50 that you've owed up until the time that you've asked for relief. So if there's any listeners out there facing a situation where you think bankruptcy might be an op- something that you should consider or you're thinking, well, I really can't afford to pay what I'm paying, do not wait. Do not delay. Do not just bury the problem under the rug. And, Don Kirby, I don't know if you've got a comment about that, but I always tell my clients, listen, if something happens and you can't pay, please call us ASAP because there's nothing we can do to help you retroactively. I have to agree with you, Catherine, that many people say to me, oh gosh, you know, bankruptcy sounded scary. If I had only come to see you earlier, there could have been so many more things that problems we could have fixed. I would not have spiraled down to where I'm at now. And by that, I mean so many good people who aren't sure how to struggle with debt. And we know so many people are now with the inflation, gas prices, the the grocery store bills. People are struggling. And to sometimes I've seen couples know that they're going to get divorced, but want to cooperate together on what's best for them on a go forward and their children. And sometimes folks will go ahead and file separate bankruptcies, but together as as a 
strategy moving into the divorce settlement agreement so that folks should know that if, let's say, the wife has a credit card and she's got $10,000 debt on the credit card, but it's only in her name, it's only her debt. Once you go into a divorce agreement, if the husband promises to pay that debt, it becomes his obligation and it becomes his obligation under a divorce agreement and it's not dischargeable because of that. So strategizing to get rid of debts you can't afford through a bankruptcy process under the federal laws before you enter into a divorce agreement sometimes helps people on the go forward to have the most money that they have are able to have to support their children and to now maintain two separate households. I'm Catherine Miller, and you're listening to Divorce, to Divorce Dialogues here on WBOX 1460 AM in Westchester County every other Wednesday from 5 to 5.30, or perhaps you're listening to the podcast version, which is available wherever you listen to podcasts or on the podcast website, divorcedialogues.com. And I'm talking today with Don Kirby about bankruptcy and bankruptcy in and of itself and bankruptcy with regard to divorce. And Don, if people have questions for you or want to get in touch, how can they do that? Yes. Well, my name's Dawn Kirby. My firm is Kirby, Eisner and Curley. We are an all-women bankruptcy firm in Scarsdale, New York. My partners and I have been together for almost 20 years, but we've had our own firm since 2019. And you can find us on our website, which is kaacllp.com or call me at 914-401-9500. Great. You know, and I think what you're basically saying, Don, is that if you're, you're, you have debt and you have difficulty paying your bills and you're thinking about or in the middle of getting divorced, that it really makes sense to work those two things together so that the economic unit of the family can take advantage of all the possible choices there are to maximize the amount of money they get to keep, maximize the amount of money they can spend on their lifestyle and their children and not make mistakes by acting individually or prematurely. Is is that what you meant by your previous statement? I do. And I do want to emphasize that bankruptcy really is a last resort. And if you need it, it's definitely not something to take lightly. But if you're facing a situation where you're a little frozen and you're not sure how to proceed and you are worrying at night about the debts and if you're in a divorce situation or a separation situation and and you're wondering how you're going to get out from underneath all of this, I say, why not have a consultation? At least so you learn the facts, whether this may be appropriate for you or helpful to you. That makes a lot of sense. So. I'm wondering if you have a couple where one person is has declared bankruptcy, and, and I mean, usually I can imagine that that's a difficult conversation in a couple, right? Like you know, saying to your spouse, "You know what? I'm going to declare bankruptcy to try to wipe out my credit card debt or something like that," is is a challenging conversation and a difficult moment in any family. But if people own a property together, you mentioned earlier that there's some exclusions, I think, for certain values in your home. How does it work if they want to say sell that house if one person, one of the owners is is in the bankruptcy process? So that is always a very complex situation. Oftentimes I see divorce agreements where 
one spouse stays in the house and is given some period of time, maybe a year, to refinance and get the other spouse off the mortgage obligation. And oftentimes that's done to bring the divorce forward and finalized in the the agreement, but the spouse who's in the home oftentimes can't afford to do that. So bankruptcy gives you a way to put up the real property for sale in a monitored fashion using your broker that you want to use. You are entitled to keep approximately $175,000 equity per spouse, um, and then you can deal with the debts from that point on. And that $175,000 per spouse, that's federal law, so that's the same state to state. Uh, That's actually New York state law. Each state has a different amount that you get to keep uh, of the equity in your home, and New York is fairly generous there. Uh, That's really great information. Don Kirby, thank you so much for coming on and answering my questions about divorce and bankruptcy. It's really been a pleasure to have you. I enjoyed it, Catherine. Thank you.